Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend Rafa Bruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachar Chagiga, Daf Yud Zion, page 17. So we start with the new Mishnah here that is actually a machlokas between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Before we get into the actual machlokas, I just want to make one little point here. Um, yesterday, we talked about that the machlokas over Smicha with the five generations of Zugot is what we say is basically sort of the force, the first machlokas. Um, and if you read this Mishnah, this Mishnah is not a machloka between Shammai and Hillel. Rather, it is a machloka between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, the houses or the yeshivot of Shammai and Hillel. And I think that's a very important distinction to make because it's not Hillel and Shammai. And there's a Gemara in Yerushalmi, in Chagiga, actually, um, on uh, uh, Halacha Bet, which basically talks about, I can just read it very quickly. I'm reading from Yerushalmi, Barishana lo machloka b'Yisrael ella, Right, that in the beginning there was no machloket other than on smicha itself. And Shammai and Hillel come and they, they end up having four machlokot just between the two of them. Right, and then once their students increase, they, it's interesting, it's that they sort of didn't attend to their teachers correctly. And then uh, it increased all the machlokot in Yisrael, uh, and it basically ended up being two different groups. Right, one said, Tame once said Tahor, again, this should remind you of that Gemara in Chagiga and Daf Gimel that we read. And in the future, it won't go back to the way it's supposed to be, meaning no machloket until the time of Ben David, meaning until the time uh, that uh, Mashiach uh, comes. So I just think it's an important uh, Gemara in the Yerushalmi that it sort of, you know, rounds out this discussion because I think this Mishnah is important because it's sort of a, you know, a later derivation of the machloket of the Mishnah that we read on yesterday's daf and daf Petzayin. And so the Mishnah reads as follows. So Beit Shammai says you can basically bring a shlamim offering on a festival, on a Chag, because both the owners and the Kohanim are going to eat of it, but you do not put your hands on it, right? We don't do smicha on it, as we explained yesterday, because it's a shfut, it's a rabbinic prohibition. Right. Um, uh, and because the concern is something that we don't do on Yom Tov, because the act of smicha would be like riding an animal. But this is very interesting. According to Beit Shammai, right, and we've seen this before in the Gemara, we do not bring full burnt offerings because they're not eaten at all. And therefore, the labor that the, uh, the labor that's associated with preparing that type of korban is only the type of labor that should be done if it's associated uh, with eating, right? You're only allowed to shecht because you're going to eat the animal. So you're not allowed to shecht an animal just to bring it as a korban for it all to be burnt as an olah, right? That's literally what that word means. It means it all goes up. And therefore, olot were not allowed to be brought on a chag. And that's according to Beit Shammai. And Beit Hillel says, no, you can bring shlamim and olot both on chag and you do smicha on both of them. Now the Mishnah goes on to a second part here. Shabbat. So let's say if the festival Shavuot falls out on a Friday, okay? The day of slaughter is after Shabbat on Sunday. 
So in other words, what we have here is, is that all the animals that are basically being brought up to the Beit HaMikdash in honor of Shavuot, in honor of the holiday, okay, one of them had to be an Olat Re'iyah, which we talked about, which was the special korban you brought to, you know, to, to of being, uh, of seeing God and being seen, okay? That korban cannot be brought basically on Chag itself because it's a korban Olat. And that's really what's very fascinating about this opinion of Beit Shammai, that korban, that Olot are not brought on Yom Tov, um, even though we derive that there's a particular mitzvah to bring a cor- an olat re'iyah. So that, you know, one of the fundamental korbanah that you have to bring, you can't even bring on chag, you have to bring it on chalamoid. The problem here is that Shavuot doesn't have a chalamoid. So if you have the Shavuot falls out on Friday, you're not bringing the olat on Friday, then you're not bringing it on Shabbat. And so the first day that you can actually bring it is on Sunday. Ubeit hilomrim em yom tabuch achar Shabbat, Beit Hillel says, no, the day of slaughter is not after Shabbat. The slaughter actually can be done on Chag itself. You don't need to postpone anything. Um, but everybody agrees that if Shavuot falls on a Shabbat, then yes, that korban is not going to be brought until the day after Shabbat. And then finally, the Mishnah ends with, right? the, high, the Kohen Gadol would not dress in his sort of uh, festive garments, right? He would just wear his regular clothing. When we talk about when this Yom Tovach had to be on a Sunday, when it did need to be postponed the slaughtering day, he would just wear his regular clothes. You were permitted to fast or to eulogize. It's really not considered to be a Chag that day. It's just you're giving the makeup korban that day. Right? And this was done so that we didn't uphold what the Sadukim would say, which is at Seret Achar HaShabbat, which was that uh, at Seret always have to be after Shabbat. Now that has to do with a reading of the Psukim, right? We know that Shavuot always falls Sheva Shabbatot, right? Seven Shabbatot after Pesach. The big question is, how do you understand the language of Shabbatot? So rabbinically, right? The Prushim, right? Chazal would say that it means seven weeks. Shabbat means a week. The Tzedukim took it to me, no, it has to be the seventh Shabbat. So for the Tzedukim, Shabbat always fell out on, uh, Shavuos always felt out on a Shabbat. So in order to show that we don't accept that view, even when you had to postpone the Korban to be on a Sunday, we treated it like a regular day to show that we were not holding the opinion of the Tzedukim. So it's a, this is a, a Mishnah that I think very tightly packs a lot of key concepts. This Machlokas of Beit Shammai, Beit Hillel, the fact that Beit Shammai basically holds the Korban Olat Raya was not basically brought on the day that it was supposed to be brought on Shavuot, and then even more this Machlokas with the with the Sudukim. So this is really, a, it's a fabulous Mishnah. Um, I think it's a fabulous Mishnah, and I feel like, <coughs> excuse me, there's so much, backdrop right meaning if you don't know the jewish history going on here then like it just seems like what are you playing with a calendar but if you understand that there's a like a theological or right a, a principled point about torah Peh, then it suddenly you know kind of everything falls into place i happen to love when shabbat and shavuot fall next to each other because then you get a little more for the Shavuot as will, as will happen this year, actually. I know. But, the, oh, yes. I want to get to the point. We have here, uh, um, the Gemara is very intensively addressing exactly the details of this Mishnah. 
And yet in the middle of it, we get this kind of like sweeping general statement, which I feel like we all should recognize and take to heart. So I'm going to begin with what is really, you know, the nitty gritty. So you want to say that when they said Shmini, right, that's the the eighth day is an independent day, right? It's its own holiday, Shmini Atzeret, right? And then, Hani Mile Inyan, and this is what we're talking about when we have, and we have here, Rashi Tevot, it's Pei Zayin Reish, that's, it's essentially one word, Pazar, and Kuf Shin Bet Kashav, Pei Zayin Reish, Kuf Shin Bet, and all of that boils down to be an acronym for the six halachot that make Shminat separate and distinct as compared to Sukkot. So then, but what happens when we're talking about, um, you know, the, the, the what do we call Tashlumin in English, Yordana? Payback, right? Making it up when you're going to make up a korban. It it's making it up. It's an opportunity to make. Remember in Brachos, we talked about this, like, is there Tashlumin if you miss you know, Shimona Esrei for Shacharis or Mincha or Marib, right? Right, and we talked about it. Tashlumen for Korbanos, which if you think about, since we talk about that Tzpilah sort of comes from Korbanos, now this actually makes sense that there's even a concept of having Tashlumen for davening because there already was a concept of Tashlumen for Korbanos. Right, and we also talked about this a few days ago, by which I might mean a week and a half, in the context of, you know, at what point can you not make things up? But here we're talking about where you can make things up, so what happens? You want to be able to make something up. Um, so can you do that for the first day, for the first festival, right? Because if you didn't, you know, celebrate, you didn't bring your korban on the first day of Sukkot, then you could bring it, you know, you could do this tashlumin throughout the rest of Sukkot. And on the last day of Sukkot, but could you do that on then on the eighth day? Right, the eighth day seems to be tricky in terms of Tashlumen. And then, of course, the question is going to be, why don't we compare Shavuot to Sukkot? Given that, um, well, Shavuot, of course, we don't have those eight days. But to what extent can the korbanot be offered? But here's the interesting thing, or what's what I feel like we need to take to heart that goes beyond these particular important examples. The Gemara answers this question, right? The question of, you know, if you if you didn't bring your korban on the first day of Sukkot, and ca- then can you celebrate? No, you can celebrate. You can celebrate. a funny word here. You can bring the korban um, for the whole rest of Sukkot, and also on the last day of Sukkot. What are you going to do when you come to Shavuot versus Sukkot? The Gemara says, Tafasta Maruba lo Tafasta. Tafasta mu'at tafasta. And this is like a pithy um, proverb type of statement, right? What it means literally is if you grab or grasp too much um, or a lot, I guess if you grab a, grasp a lot, you don't grasp you don't grasp anything. And if you grasp a little bit, then you grasp it, meaning then you have it to hold on to, which basically means that if you're going to deal with you know, a smaller amount or a larger amount, and you go to take it, and you're going to try to take too much, then you won't succeed. You won't take, not only will you not take the larger amount that you want, you won't take it at all. But if you aim for a smaller amount, then you'll you'll be able to take that in. You know, you'll be fine with that. So this is like a, a statement for life. You know, I, it's a, I, I think it's an open question on, let's say, on ambition, right? Can, should you be, 
Should you lower your expectations or your ambitions to be able to make sure that you can do what you can do? And or do we say, no, no, go for the gold and then you'll get what you can. Right. Um, which is, you know, another, op- you know, in terms of how to live, it's an, o- an open question. But here it's speaking very specifically when you're trying to accomplish something, you have to accomplish something. We're talking about bringing Corbanot. Right. So then you want to make sure that you can get it done. Right. So then don't compare Shavuot um, to Sukkot, right? Because Sukkot has eight days where you could bring that Korban. Rather, compare Shavuot to the seven days of Pesach, uh, where then theoretically you could actually make sure that you can get it done. Of course, what's a little bit ironic or, or challenging, I think, of the application of this particular philosophy about, you know, how much you're going to try to attain when you aim, you know, aim for more and not attain anything or aim for less and accomplish it, we're talking about the difference of a day, which I think is, um, you know, is a way of distinguishing Pesach and Sukkot. But on the other hand, it's not really that different in terms of, um, you know, the the vast number of days that you have to continue to bring a carbon over Pesach or over Sukkot as compared to Shavuot. Yeah, but I think the important piece is this is like a, uh, it's one of those phrases from the Gemara that sort of gets quoted all the time, right? And like, oh yeah, it's a statement for life. Meaning, it's it's almost funny. That's why I say like it makes more sense to me as a statement for life than as a solution to this conundrum of what are you going to do with Shavuot and comparing it to Pesach or Shavuot or Sukkot, (laughs) because the difference between Pesach and Sukkot. You know, if we're going to talk about mu'at versus mruba, right? Like a lot or the many versus the few. I mean, seven versus eight is not many versus few. And yet it's brought here as like, I I wonder if it wasn't initially said tongue in cheek. And then they said, yeah, you know what? That works. That's a good point. Okay, let's carry on. You know, like, I I don't mean to be flippant. I I think that there's something to this, even recognizing that it's such a, a, a distinction of only one day. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.